Hello and welcome to Story Creatures, a national podcast for artists and the stories they have to tell. From short stories and personal essays to poems and plays, we have a little bit of everything. I'm Madeline Hicks, local art maker and pie baker, and you are listening to Goodbyes, the final episode for the Story Creatures series. I felt it was appropriate that the last episode of the series should be about goodbyes, since the first one was about beginnings. Saying goodbye to Story Creatures is bittersweet. I started this podcast back in November, sort of on a whim. I thought it would be fun to meet new people and have them share their stories and talk about what they're passionate about, what projects they're working on, where they are creatively, what they're afraid of, what they're hopeful for, and I got all of that and so much more. I met a lot of really great people that I probably wouldn't have met otherwise, as well as just getting closer to some of my talented friends. I've enjoyed this podcast so much, but I am ready to say goodbye and move on to new projects and new things and working with new people. And so I thought we would close the podcast with a beautiful essay by my dear friend Leah Miller, who is an amazing artist and actor and musician and teacher and writer She pretty much does everything, which is kind of annoying. She's just sort of good at whatever she does. And she was going to share this essay about her grandmother. And uh, and then we talk a little bit about creativity and, and where she is right now in her life. There are a million reasons to say goodbye. A million reasons you have said goodbye. A million reasons you haven't wanted to say goodbye. There are probably a million reasons you may have avoided saying goodbye to someone or something, hoping maybe it would get better, or maybe you were afraid of what happens next. Goodbyes come and go, and eventually your skin grows back tougher and you keep going. But nothing lingers like the goodbye that never happened. I was a junior in high school in 2008, and like most 17-year-olds, I was selfish and consumed with my social life. I was so consumed with what I was doing with my time and who I was hanging out with that I failed to understand the gravity of my grandmother's diagnosis of cancer. My Omi was 79, about to have her 80th birthday, August 1st, and my mother was already planning a big shindig for her with matching flower table toppers and everything. Omi was a popular, social, sprightly and colorful 79-year-old, always decked out in costume jewelry and patterned outfits. She told stories like nobody's business, humorous anecdotes with witty, perfect responses, stories that would often get big ol' eye rolls on my part. We always believed her stories were augmented for entertainment purposes, but we always got a good laugh. She was still working a part-time job months before being diagnosed, so maybe I didn't believe that anything was really going to happen to her, and she would go on judging, lecturing, and belittling me forever. Omi was a typical German grandmother. She was tough, she was strict, she was conservative, and she was hard on me and my brothers. She was hard on everyone except for her sweet baby who could do no wrong, my dad, Olaf. Omi was frugal. She ate cheaply, lived cheaply, and always wanted everyone else to do the same. She would always tell my mom that they had done too much for us on Christmas and birthdays if we received more than one gift. She would always say we were spoiled and even go as far as to send my mother articles in the mail with titles such as, Are You Raising Brats? Omi didn't like my pants too low. Mind you, I usually wore my high-rise pants around her. She didn't like my bangs in my face. She didn't like how I talked to my dad. She didn't like that I played video games. She didn't like that I hung out with boys. She didn't like my boyfriend. But I never quit trying to make her proud. 
I just wanted her to say, I love you, or I'm proud of you. I'd get straight A's on every report card. I'd be a lead actor in every play. I would draw and paint pictures, but never got a good job, or that's beautiful, that's great, nothing. I had begun to resent her. I couldn't wait for her to leave when she would come to visit. Every moment was like the Omi show. Everything was about her, her opinions, and her lifestyle. I couldn't stand her sweet gin breath, quietly telling me some ridiculous nonsense like how it should be my responsibility to get my dad up and working out every day. Visits with Omi felt like humoring someone until it was time to go. And yet sometimes there were these little chunks of real moments. Moments where you respected her, where you were mystified by her history. Her house always had a glow about it. It was as if you'd walked into some home magazine from the 1950s with shag carpet, old furniture, teal-tiled bathrooms, and a large wooden record player stereo. I loved to wander around the room, sneaking treats from her dining room, where there was always a stash of candy and cookies. I loved her house, and I loved the way Omi's house smelled. I loved the way Omi smelled. And just as you had arrived, she had an equally memorable goodbye. As we pulled out of the driveway, she would walk to the end and wave to us until we were out of sight. She did that every time, since I can remember. Our last year with Omi, she had gone months without seeing a doctor. Months of feeling horrible, months of her stomach bothering her. All the while, she never complained. She only asked my parents to take her to the doctor when she couldn't keep food down anymore. It was August 6th when the results came in. She had been diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer and maybe you had a few months to a year of life left. Omi didn't want any chemo, no treatments, so that was it. 79 years of life only to succumb to a vicious end. It didn't take long for Omi to begin to wither away from her colorful self. My Omi that could still do splits on the floor, my Omi that could dance and tell stories and play accordion, laid on her bed hooked up to machines to keep her hydrated and painless. She didn't want to stay in the hospital, it was a sterile and sad exist existence. So she stayed in her house, her elegant house full of life and memories. My grandmother was a teenager when World War II started. She lived in a country called East Prussia, which she would tell you is now Poland. And her home was next to what was renamed the Piz River. She would then laugh and say, can you believe it, the Piz River? She had to evacuate this home in East Prussia in a desperate hurry as soldiers came and told them bombs would be dropped in that area. She had to leave everything behind, every photo, every piece of life you collect over the years, every childhood object, every historical relic, even her beautiful pearl-buttoned accordion her father gave her. She could only take whatever would fit in a small box. As her story went, she filled her box with books, to her mother's dismay. My grandma Hattie told her, Gerda, you cannot keep books. Books cannot keep you warm. We need to bring blankets. So Omi brought blankets as she ran across fields to escape, only to see her home go up in flames. She wanted her books. Omi was full of stories, full of history, full of heavy reality, and yet I had never thought to ask her about her past until she was about to die. I only saw her twice before she died. I don't know if it was really because I couldn't handle the way she looked, or if I was more concerned with missing out on something with my friends. The times I did go, I felt a knot in my throat because my colorful Omi, my flamboyant and opinionated Omi, was frail and ghostly. Her hair, once black, was completely white. Her skin was puffy and thin, and her eyes were in another place. 
I held her hand as she weakly told me about how we would spend the next Christmas together. It was only a year before on Christmas when Omi had walked into my brother's room on Christmas morning, where my brother, my boyfriend, and I were all asleep on the bed. My boyfriend's family didn't celebrate Christmas, so he stayed with us. It was completely innocent, and yet Omi continued to tell me how disappointed she was with me. Why couldn't you just wake up and leave the room? I would tell her I was asleep. I don't know how to wake myself up and leave the room. I didn't want to apologize. I didn't apologize. Omi seemed to disown me as if I was a horrible person for sleeping in a bed with a boy. It was such a stupid reason for her to be mad that I never apologized. I refused to see her way. I never apologized. I hadn't spoken to Omi since that day, until I saw her on her deathbed, all frail and thin. Even then, I acted like she would bounce back. I only lost my cool for a moment. I had to leave the room because it hurt me to see her that way. Yet I couldn't act like Omi was going to die. Omi was too headstrong. Omi was too proud. Omi was too stubborn. I would leave that last time and I would never say goodbye. When Omi's health was at its worst and my parents were spending every moment with her, I used that time to do whatever I wanted to do at home. I used her illness to my advantage. I had people over, I would stay out all night, I had a new boyfriend spend the night. I was an insensitive monster. The day my Omi died, I remember I was excited to miss school. My mother and father were in the room when my Omi took her last gasping breaths. It wasn't like in the movies with final words and then a head tilt into nothingness. Omi was suffocating, her lungs clasping to life until the end. My mother was devastated that she had lost her best friend. Full of regret that she hadn't spent more time with Omi. My dad was quiet and reminiscent. He had lost his mother. It wasn't until Omi's funeral where all of the friends and colleagues who loved Omi came up to me shaking my hand, hugging me and telling me how proud my Omi was of me, how much my Omi loved me, how much my Omi bragged about me that I realized that I had not only taken Omi for granted, but I had never said goodbye. I never took the time to appreciate all the moments I had had with her. Instead, I spent all of our moments wanting time to go by. We found out later that Omi had been saving money for decades, leaving my dad a pretty hefty inheritance. Yet another surprise for us showing her generosity. My parents ended up selling Omi's elegant house full of smells and vintage relics, keeping only a few of her many things and my mom tucked away the flower table toppers. Eventually, I'll have taken in the last of Omi's fragrance from her clothes, and with only a recording of Omi's weak voice detailing her fascinating and difficult past, the memory of her sing-songy voice will soon fade too. And I guess with that, I'll have to say goodbye, even if it's not the way I wanted to. What made you decide to write about your grandmother? Um... I think I, I honestly thought about a lot of different topics whenever you sent out that post about the theme being goodbyes, mm -hmm. and I kind of wrote down a bunch of different ideas, but then I, I don't know, something happened, I was writing, and I just started that little intro, and then I was like, I'm going to talk about my grandmother, because it just came out, I don't know, it just happened, yeah. so it kind of felt like serendipity. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, well, was it difficult to write about, or was it sort of just like you were able to get out maybe what you didn't process or what you didn't say? Um, 
No, I feel like the most difficult thing about writing it was the structure because I wasn't sure. I had so much I wanted to say that it kind of felt like vomiting on the paper. So yeah. I had to really think about what's the best way to put, like, to chunk this into a very, like, the shortest version of a story I can possibly do with, with enough of the facts and enough of the feelings. So, I mean, that that was the hardest part was condensing it because there was a lot more. So, but yeah, I mean, definitely when I was writing it, I had some tears. Yeah. Had some sadness, but it, it's like happy sadness, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it feels good to, like, express something, especially if you've sort of, like, held on to it and not really, I don't know, there's something about, like, putting it into words Yeah. that is sort of healing in a way, so thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to talk a little bit just about what you do, because you do a lot of different things. So you do um, music and acting and writing and directing, and you just finished your first year as a teacher. So I kind of want to, like, rewind back to, like, baby Leah and see, like, where did you originally get into, like, the arts and, um, you know, like, the creative field? Um, Well, you know, it's really strange. I when I was a kid, my parents weren't necessarily, they don't consider themselves creative types, but I think my mom is creative in her own way. Yeah. Um, we were always forced into activities by my parents, like basketball or ballet, jazz and tap, which is what I got kind of stuck into as a very, like a little baby, like the babies that are watching the yeah. teacher on stage while they're like pointing their toes and being really cute and mm-hmm. stupid. That was me. Um, for, I did that for, shoot, I can't even, I don't know. I did it for so many years. Just ballet, jazz, and tap. Ballet, jazz, and tap all the time. Um, and then, I don't know. My See, honestly, Omi, I can say all I want about her being a, a jerk, and she really was kind of an yeah. intense <laughs> jerk all the time. But she really was a creative, she was a creative woman. She played accordion. She loved music. She sang all the time. She danced. Um, very, very creative spirit. Yeah. So I think maybe we, my brothers and I, all of three of us are, um, very into, like, music and arts and things yeah. like that. Um, definitely did a lot of skits for my family. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as a child, I was a lot more uninhibited than maybe I have become as an adult. <laughs> yeah, I think that happens. Yeah, I I remember doing lots of skits. I was an old granny, and I would talk about picking popcorn from the popcorn fields. <laughs> That's one that my mom loves to talk about. Yeah. Um, and then, I guess, just I would do theater and musicals at church, of course. Um, and then, I guess... I don't know. I just started... My brothers are musicians. They were musicians before I was. Um, I always loved art. I would always draw. I actually would trace things. And (laughs) I would give it to people and tell them that I drew it. (laughs) And I have a funny story about... uh, With my my best friend, Brittany, who lives in Florida now, she... I would, she thought I was, like, the most amazing artist, and I would trace these Sailor Moon pictures, like, these elaborate, yeah. beautiful drawings, and give them to her, and be like, I made this, I drew this for you, and then evidently my dad had told her dad I traced it. Oh, no. So then he told her, and she was like, no, it's not true, it can't be true, and, um, yeah, when, I think one day I confessed <laughs> to her, and she thought I was confessing to her that I was a lesbian, 
But, How did that get mixed up? Well, <laughs> I was like, I have something to confess to you. And she was like, you're a lesbian. <laughs> and I was like. Because that's always what people confess I, when they're crying. <laughs> I was, yeah, well, I was also very, like, tomboy, I guess. Yeah. And she was not. She was very girly. So I think she just thought that all tomboys. <laughs> she's like, I've been waiting for this. She's like, you are in love with me and you're a lesbian. <laughs> so... No, it was like, I well, I thought that was hilarious, and I laughed, and I was like, no. And I just said, I'm a liar! Like, so that's how she found out about me tracing, and I also made up fake Dragon Ball Z characters. But, um, I've just always been, like, honestly, I think that's how I learned how to draw, from tracing. No, but, yeah, it's um, a good first step, but you yeah. shouldn't tell people. <laughs> I was not a very, I was such a weird kid. I was not a trustworthy individual. Uh, I was very creative, but I was just a weirdo. Well, that's kind of part of creativity, <laughs> I think, especially when you're a kid. Especially if you're into, like, telling stories and making up characters, that it sort of blurs into your reality. There were some blurred lines there. Yeah. I feel like that just happens. Yeah. I mean, it happens with all kids, because you'll hear kids, like, when I'm, I'm teaching, I'll hear stories from kids, and I just, I'm like, you know, being a liar... <laughs> I know you're lying to uh-huh. me yep. right now. This is ridiculous. Like, I can tell. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you get into high school, and what's sort of your focus there? Like, which, which like, of music or theater or drawing, what are you sort of doing the most of? Um, in high school, that's where I definitely became my most, um, well, at high started to try and get into music, art, and theater, and so that's when I feel like I started becoming neurotic, because I could never keep up with anything or myself, Um, but I was always hanging out with people that were in bands, Um, I always had boyfriends that were in bands, Mm -hmm. Um, I did theater, like, throughout high school, no matter what was happening in the curriculum, I always had to get theater as a class. Um, I just loved it. I would just immerse myself in characters, definitely doing the muggy face, you know. I thought I was an amazing actress. (laughs) As as many high school theater students. You know, and, uh, and art. I just, I did art too. I, I brought my portfolio in to one of the teachers there and was like, I don't want to take art one. Let me be in advanced art. And they did. So I just showed her that I was serious. And so I painted and did theater and constantly and I didn't start actually doing music as much like I would play music and write things but I never showed anybody till mm-hmm. I was in college yeah okay because I was shy my brother Tim was such a jerk and he would always tell me that my songs were stupid oh it makes you stronger though yeah. stupid Tim <laughs> I hope he's listening to this because <laughs> his songs are stupid too so you go into um college and what's your focus there um, well, I think my initial focus was supposed to be theater. Like, I guess as soon as I went to college, I was like, I'm going to do theater. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to get a job on Broadway. <laughs> on Broadway. <laughs> or whatever. Um, on the Broadway. At Broadway. <laughs> At Broadway. Broadway Boulevard. Um, or whatever it is. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like a giant Walmart with Broadway. Yeah. You just um, walk right in and say, hello, Broadway. I'll have one job. job. And they're like, yes, ma'am. Yes. What would you like <laughs> to do? Um, but <laughs> I, went, 
as soon as I started school, though, I I immediately became, and I think my focus drew to boys and then meeting new people, and then I started going to shows all the time. Um, theater class is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> Our professor was kind of really challenging to be around, and meeting all the different people and understanding the competition and then be like auditions. And I, I never had to audition in high school. Yeah. So it was excruciating. It was so difficult to imagine, oh my God, this is what your life is when you're an actor. Like yeah. you just audition all the time. People are judging you and you might not get anything. Yeah. Like it freaked me out. And also I kind of got more interested into the design aspects but then, um, I think I only did, like, three shows in college, which was dumb, but... Yeah, I, me too, actually. I think I just did three. I kind of <laughs> decided I didn't want any part of it, but it mostly was because I was so wrapped up. I started... I got in a band. I had a boyfriend. I mean, I still do. We got into it. We made our band together, Mom and Dad, and then it just kind of, like, that took all my time, or trying to get a job... Or just being lazy and not wanting to go to rehearsals. Because I was like, oh my god, if I go to rehearsals every night for four hours, I won't, I'll miss something. You know, I'll miss whatever's happening at this house that I'm not going to even remember who lived there yeah. <laughs> in three years. So I kind of lost my track in college. Um, like, I, no, no, and that's never happened to anybody else before. Oh, no one's not. ever gotten confused I mean, or overwhelmed or no. changed their, you know, career path ever. I mean, gosh. I tried to be a physics major for, like, a semester, and then I was like, you have to read so much, <laughs> and there's so much math. Yeah. And then I just used all my partners to do all the work. So <laughs> they would just be like, we'll do the experiments, you write the lab report. I was like, boom, gotcha. And then somehow I managed to pass physics. Uh, by just writing 10-page lab reports and never having to do any experiments or math. <laughs> I don't know how long you could have kept that up, though. It couldn't have worked. Not I quit. <laughs> I had to stop. I went back to theater. I, like, went crawling back to Crosby, like, please, please accept me again. I, I don't like this math. Um, I would like to focus on writing more. I want to make things, like plays or scripts or honestly like just some sort of performance art that involves writing um Mm -hmm. I'm trying to work on a comic book it's takes forever to draw a comic book (laughs) I would imagine I've never tried so I'm trying to do that I want to look into animation like I want to tour we're gonna start touring with our band I just wish that I had everything I want to be organized and yeah. productive and creative and I I want to utilize, like I feel like I haven't, I've always wanted these things and I've never been very good at executing them because I get very overwhelmed yeah. with wanting to do everything but like as Yetta Halliday once said, <laughs> you can do it all, you just can't do it all at once. Yeah, that's so, good to remember. Yeah, so that's something that I continue to say to myself all the time, so I'm like, what is going to be the most effective for me to do while I'm young because some things might be easier to do when I'm younger than when I'm older so I'm trying to categorize it but then it gets scary because you're like categorizing your life yeah well you kind of have to yeah it's weird it gets weird I can't believe it's already almost like it's already June yeah yeah we're like like five months 
Yeah, six. We're like well, six months. We're halfway through with 2000. Yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy. It's really scary. But that should be like a motivation to be like, you know, time is flying go. by. Like, let's get it done. Like, let's I do. I promised myself that I was going to be productive yeah. after school. You know, I've been productive, though, because I'm also the co-director for the Youth Empowerment for the Arts and Humanities yeah. Yeah. Plug, um, plug that. Yeah. What is that? That is a <laughs> youth empowerment organization that teaches at-risk youth to play instruments. And then That's they form so a band. Awesome. And then they write songs. And they're really cute. And they yeah. perform live. Um, so I'm the co-director of that right now. And I'm in charge of food donations. So I've been, like, really proud of myself for calling and emailing and getting, yeah. like, different lunch donations for two whole weeks filled. I only need one more. Nice. Oh, so it's three weeks total? It's two weeks total. Two weeks. I only need one more day. Oh. One more, like, oh. lunch. So you almost got it then. Yeah, I'm actually very proud of myself. So is it, like, two, is it, like, one week with one group of kids and one week with another? Or yes. Is it, well, okay. there are two different camps. It's mm-hmm. the Southern Girls Rock and Roll Camp in July. I think it's 11th through the 16th. Mm-hmm. And then Tennessee Teens Rock and Roll Camp, which is the... 18th through the 23rd of July. I might have swapped them, but... <laughs> well, you can Google it, listener, if you would like to know more. Is it too late for people to sign no. up? No. Huh? It's not too late to sign up your children to be in it. 10 through 17. Oh. Um, you could probably still a volunteer to be, a, <laughs> I guess, a teacher or a band manager. Yeah. I think. I'm not sure. Yeah, rocks.org. <laughs> That's what the website is. <laughs> <laughs> That's not just an explanation. org. All right, that is the end of our episode today. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to everyone who has shared a story in my little tiny living room and talked about art with me. It's been such a great experience, and I really miss it. But for now, it is time to say goodbye.